I will talk to you of art. Yes. For there is nothing else. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. Well, you can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Some artists will bait a hook and let you bite upon it. And now, without further ado... Hello, folks. This is Albert Shivers, and I'm in the bunker, sitting, recording in my bunker. I got a banana. I got some nice earth balance, frou-frou, yuppie peanut butter, organic, good stuff like that. Because, like, I don't, I don't trust Jif peanut butter. I don't know. I know they say choosy moms choose Jif. But that doesn't comfort me at all. Because I don't know what kind of mother they're talking about. Are we talking about Claire Huxtable or Casey Anthony? I don't know. But um, this is going to be a special episode of Planet Shivers. There's no guest this week. Not because of all the cooties. But um, because this is something I've been wanting to do for a while. And why not? Why not do it now? What's the use? Next week, it'll be... um, Back to regular, um, it'll probably be Don Wilson and part two of three of um, my and Isaac's conversation, or Isaac and I's conversation with him. And, um, you know, Don has very relaxing tones in his voice and might make you forget about your troubles for about an hour and a half, two hours. But that's next week. This week... Um, this whole episode is going to be about blues singer Bessie Tucker. Now, a lot of people have not heard of Bessie Tucker, and I didn't either, up until about um, two years ago. And for me personally, I just never heard a voice quite like hers. Um, It's a style of singing that I came to learn is called like to moan and holler where it has a lot to do with your inflection and your pronunciation of the words with a very deep throaty diaphragmy way of singing. Now this was way more popular amongst male blues singers but um, it wasn't as popular amongst female blues singers except for these two gals in Texas one of them being Bessie Tucker, and the other one being Ida Mae Mack. They shared recording sessions together in what I believe is Houston. I'm reading the back of a CD right now, which is not telling me where it was recorded. Okay, yeah, Dallas, not Houston. Dallas, Texas, 1929. And then the two... Bessie Tucker and Ida Mae Mack also did a session in Memphis, Tennessee, um, around the same time. So this whole episode is going to be dedicated to Bessie Tucker. I'm going to be playing little clips of her music, whatever I can get away with, now that YouTube has become North Korea. And um, also, I'm going to be reading an essay that I wrote which is pretty much compiled information from different sources, kind of like a collage. The most I was able to find was through blues historian Max Hames. Um, 
He is based out of Lancaster, United Kingdom. I've tried to find him through the internet. I have not had any luck up to this point. Maybe I will be able to and we could talk to him just about old-time blues in general. That'd be super cool. So I've compiled all this information together as a bit of a history lesson on Bessie Tucker, who is barely known. And just to emphasize that point on how barely known she is, for all you folks out there who are into physical media, um, I've only been able to find her on two different CDs, one on Document Records, which is the complete recorded works in chronological order. Um, this is a label out of Europe, and they're not easy to come by, but there's that one. Then there's also a compilation that was put out by Bluebird with Bessie Tucker on it, as well as Ida Mae Mack. Who else? It's four women on here. Bessie Tucker, Ida Mae Mack, Alberta Hunter, and Victoria Spivy. Oh, this is a good CD. So yeah, this one's called Better Boot That Thing, which is, by the way, the song that plays the end credits of this podcast is Bessie Tucker. So another reason why I was kind of uh, nudged to do this kind of an episode because I've had, you know, uh, seven, eight people ask me what the ending song was to this. So... Here's your answer. Um, So the CD is called Better Boot That Thing. Great Women Blues Singers of the 1920s. So those are two good CDs. There's also a couple of vinyl, like I think three vinyl 33s with her music on it. And there's a reissue of the 78 that comes out of Europe. And then the original 78s, I have no freaking clue. I don't think I've even seen pictures of the original 78s online, let alone them for sale anywhere on eBay. Who knows if anybody's even looking for them? That's the kind of thing with some of this stuff. Like, as these old blues hoarders die off, you know, who knows what's happening to their record collections? So, yes, also, before I get into the meat potatoes of this, um, I have a couple of shout-outs to do, and I'm going to spread them throughout the episode. But, um, first of all, so, as we know, right now, as of March 31st when I'm recording this, a lot of small businesses in America are shut down with this Coca-Cola virus, and, um... Amongst the small businesses that are shut down is one right down the road from me, the Main Street Jukebox, a record store. Go figure. And um, Tom, the owner of the record store, is doing all he can right now to keep the jukebox and the business afloat, so to speak. Um, He is right now selling records online. So right now, if you go on Facebook, And look up the Main Street Jukebox, Strasburg, PA. Or Instagram, Main Street Jukebox, Strasburg, PA. Um, I'm not totally sure of the handle. But I will put it in the description of this episode so you can go check it out. And actually, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to try to find the handle right now. Um, what he's doing is he is selling 
the records through Facebook and through Instagram. He is posting records that are up for sale. And he is also doing something where he will put together a bundle for you. And you can hear my mouse scrolling. I'm trying to find the information. Aha! Okay. So, he will curate you your own custom stack of vinyl based on your taste in music. Um, I know that there are different packages. Here we go. $50 and up for a curated package. I don't know what that all entails, but you can go find out. So the Instagram handle is Main Street Jukebox. Now, there's abbreviations in there, so I'm going to spell it out for you. So Instagram, this is Main Street Jukebox. M-A-I-N-S-T-J-U-K-E-B-O-X. Main Street Jukebox. And on Facebook, it's also Main Street Jukebox with the S-T. Street is not spelled out. It is Main, M-A-I-N, Street, S-T, period, for Facebook, Jukebox, J-U-K-E-B-O-X. I don't know why I couldn't remember J. So yeah, check it out. Um, if you just feel like you want to just play some new vinyl while you're sitting at home during this thing, um, check it out. He ships anywhere. So, yeah, check him out. They got good stuff. Tons of old blues, which is right on topic. Tons of old blues. Um, I might have bought all the Bessie Tucker, but there's tons of other awesome old blues there, as well as all the other genres. If you're a metalhead, holy crap, if you're a metalhead, he's got tons of cool metal records. I've seen them myself. Um, so check those out. And, you know, lots of other stuff. Classic rock coming out. Your eardrums, you could have it. So let's get down to business here. Um, let me open the right thing. All right. So we're going to jump into this. This is The Mysterious History of Bessie Tucker. Bessie Tucker was allegedly born in Rusk, Texas on an unknown date in 1906. She was the daughter to Georgia and John Christian Tucker. Bessie Tucker had a light complexion, a gentle face, and a small frame, but those who know her are quoted as saying she was a strong singer with a dark, hollering voice. Now, the reason why I point out that she had a light complexion is because this was important in terms of the times, all right? Not only to racist-ass whites, but amongst other African-American peoples. A lighter complexion and a prettier face gives you, and these are huge, gigantic air quotes, gives you a better opportunity to work in the brothels, you know, 
be taken in as a singer, be more attractive, quote unquote. It was the times, and it's important to mention it within this story of Bessie Tucker. She is known to have recorded only 24 tracks, but some claim there are more that are lost. In August of 1928, Bessie recorded a handful of songs that she wrote for the blues extension of the Victor label in Memphis, Tennessee. She was then given a second recording in October of 1929. After that session in 1929, nothing is known about Bessie Tucker's life. Tucker is thought to have died on January 6th, 1933, at the age of 26 or 27. This was supposedly, supposedly this took place, she died in Dallas, Texas. But that too can be false. Like there's no, like it's just pretty much hearsay that's been written down. You know, that's all there is. Despite being one of the finest rural female blues singers ever to record next to Lucille Bogan and Memphis Minnie, there is very little known about Bessie Tucker. Even though her recorded legacy has been made available on LP and CD on the document label. And also, as I said before, now the Bluebird label, which is a um, big label for jazz. And I guess blues too. The one exception is a song called Pick On Me Blues from her October 17th session in 1929. This song remains lost. There's no word like whether or not it was ever even released. Is it somewhere? It's also really possible that lost songs for Bessie Tucker or even other blues singers were given the wrong name. Um, in other words, the song could still be called Pick On Me Blues, but the wrong singer is attributed to it. Whether or not that's on purpose or not can go back and forth. It could be and it cannot be. Remember, in the 1960s, um, Phil Spector took Ronette songs and labeled them as the Crystals. Um, there were a few good handful of songs that the Ronettes recorded that were given to the crystals the crystals did nothing just their name was smacked on it that's it so that was really really um commonplace even back in the 20s and 30s amongst blues singers especially the black blues singers because thinking of it from the mindset of not all blues record producers who were white were racist but thinking in terms of the ones that just didn't give a damn it was just like well they're all a bunch of black singing women so who what does it matter what name we put on it you know that's how those producers thought sometimes even with the men you know there were so many um blues guitarists who were men the names got flip-flopped constantly whether it was on purpose or not. So there's that to take into account when you're thinking about lost blues tunes. I can hear my black name ringing up and down the line. 
Bessie Tucker possessed a powerful voice. In a way, she was a female equivalent to Charlie Patton, which really goes back to all the way to the real roots of country blues. Country blues. Blah, blah, blah. Like Patton, her hollered and deep moaning vocals contradict the presumed physical stature of the singer. Apart from a small reference to both Bessie Tucker and Ida Mae Mack by Whistlin' Alex Moore in a 1960 interview, nothing else has been discovered after Tucker's alleged death, despite long, fruitless searches. Ida Mae Mack, a less powerful singer, had shared both Bessie Tucker's 1928 and 1929 recording sessions. They were accompanied by pianist K.D. Johnson. Back to Alex Moore, a superb piano player from Dallas. He related that both Bessie Tucker and Ida Mae Mack are, quote, tough cookies. Don't mess with them. In the present tense in 1960. So, this sort of gives a little hint that maybe they're both still alive. Who knows? You know, it's it's not confirmed that she died in 33. Could she still be around hiding, not wanting the attention? Totally possible. Completely possible. Then, Alex Moore went on to say, Bessie did time in the pen. Now, if you look at her lyrics, um, it wouldn't be a surprise to know that she did time in jail. She has a song just called Penitentiary. And yeah, so that's not too hard to believe. But then after sharing that in the interview, Alex Moore became extremely vague about Tucker. Now, from the accounts I've read, his sudden turn to being real vague about Bessie is a little suspicious. Um, things I've read are like, why did he get like that? You know, kind of, kind of led certain interviewers to feel that maybe he wasn't being totally truthful, or maybe he just, you know, didn't want to say too much. Who knows? So let's move on here. And let's talk a little bit about where Bessie Tucker was. Because if we think about where she was, which was most likely Fort Worth, Texas, or at least that area, it can enlighten how much there is to know about her. So... In the 1920s, lumber was still a major force in the southern industry. And indeed, all of the railroads referred to by Bessie Tucker had logging interests at the time. So again, let's go to the CD. Look at some lyrics here. Fort Worth and Fort Denver Blues. That's a reference to railroads. Um, Katy Blues. Katie 
was an abbreviation for another railroad line. So that's another reference to railroads. And as you listen through her lyrics, she references more railroads. So they were a big part of industry back then. So let's dive back in. Temporary lines, this railroad lines that is, temporary lines were built deep into the piney woods and were known as dummy lines. These were built so that the trees can just go plump right on right on the trains, easy to get the big logs out of the woods. The term also included the trains that ran on those lines, some of which eventually carried passengers as well as lumber. Now, if we... Another title of a Bessie Tucker song, The Dummy, referring to the dummy lines of the railroad station. Logging camps were set up at the railheads with a commissary store and often a barrel house. This was to keep the predominantly black workers from straying off the job over the weekend. The companies would supply a piano, a few blues singers, along with small jazz bands. They were all brought in to entertain. Now, there are tons of jazz musicians that played in barrel houses and brothels. The most notable of which is probably Jelly Roll Morton. Um, it's right in his name. But he cut his teeth in brothels. As did so many piano players who went on to have amazing careers in jazz. So, as well as liquor and gambling, there were also prostitutes to help the workers spend their money. It's a very pleasant way of putting it. Bessie Tucker, like... The two um, blues singers I mentioned earlier, Lucille Bogan and Memphis Minnie, Bessie Tucker was also thought to have been on her way to a working camp where she was probably going to be in a brothel or barrel, barrel house serving as a prostitute. And again, if you listen to her lyrics, it's not really too hard to think that she was doing that and... I'd go on, you know, like Memphis Minnie, a lot of blues singers. I said Memphis Minnie before, but she's a real prominent one who, you know, when music wasn't cutting it, they would make the turn to prostitution because, you know, they didn't have very many avenues to go down. Now, Alex Moore, going back to him referred to Tucker as a tough cookie. So it's easy to imagine that she didn't take nothing from nobody, even though she was working in the barrel house. And in a specific song, she sings about the barrel house and the working camps and advertising her wares is the way she put it in the song which is most likely a reference to prostitution.
it's time for another little commercially shout out here. Um, this one is for Broad Street Books in Branchville, New Jersey. I visited this bookstore last year and was blown away by not only the selection, but the organization and how pleasant and nice and kind the owners were. Um, so clearly, um, their business has also been changed and affected by all the cooties going around. So right now, they are offering online purchases, and you can also order from them via phone. Now, they have a website and a Facebook. The website is www.broadstreetbooks.com, and I'll spell it for the people in back, www. B-R-O-A-D-S-T-R-E-E-T-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Broadstreetbooks.com. And you could also go on their Facebook page, which is just Broadstreetbooks. And they have an Instagram handle, which is Broadstreetbooks New Jersey. So that's pretty, um, pretty straightforward. They post pictures of some of their inventory while, um, I'm sorry, they post pictures of their inventory on Facebook and on Instagram. And um, hopefully, once this all blows over, you can go visit them in person and check out the bookstore for yourself. But in the meantime, check out their page. Um, check out their Instagrams and Facebooks and websites. And if you've already read through all the books you have and you're looking to support a business worth supporting, check out Broad Street Books. Um, in terms of bookstores here in Stroudsburg, I don't really know what the deal is with my local bookstore, Carol and Carol. Um, I like them too. They're a great bookstore. But I don't really know. I'm not sure what their online presence is. But for all my Straussburgers who are listening, look them up. See what kind of web presence they have. Um, but yeah, Broad Street Books, definitely give them your support. And again, hopefully when all this blows over and this whole ass ache ends, I'm definitely going to be going there in person again to pick up some more cool books. I got some real dope books there last time. Can't wait to go back. So now let's get back to Bessie Tucker. So here's the deal. In conclusion, because there isn't much to know about her. In conclusion, here's what we know. Here are the facts. Okay, let's talk facts. Give me the facts. No fake news here. This is facts. Okay. Number one. Bessie Tucker recorded in Memphis and Dallas over a 14-month period from 1928 to 1929. Number two, the deuce. She sang in the style of many other Texas singers like Texas Alexander, Victoria Spivy, and Texas Bill Day, but added her own haunting technique, setting her apart from those singers. In other words, it's real probable that she either heard or hung around with these other Texans who were singing the blues and that was part of her influence. Now, 
if you look at her age, she was most likely younger than a lot of these other blues singers at the time in the late 20s. So she could have been influenced by them. It's very, very, very possible that that's the case. Number three. She sang about railroads that mainly served East Texas and Dallas in particular. So I feel it's safe to conclude that this is where she was pretty much based. Number four. She was recalled by Dallas pianist Whistlin' Alex Moore in 1960. But all of a sudden, after a sentence or two, he had little remembrance of her. Now, it can be understood with almost 100% certainty that Bessie Tucker was from the Dallas area of East Texas and was living there in the late 1920s. However... Since no leads have been found in Dallas itself regarding this blues singer, it must be presumed that she lived in a town probably within a 50-mile radius of the city, such as maybe Greensville, Texas, or Fort Worth. Now, personally, it's a little bit of a pipe dream of mine to um, go to Texas, hit these towns, and see if I could find any Tuckers. I'm sure... Record guys have done it before, but it's this little, you know, like I said, a little pipe dream, little fantasy to go there and start looking up Tuckers and see if anybody knows anything, you know, because um, they may not, like, here's the way I look at it, is if no one's been there asking the question. And the way pop culture is and how so much old music is just buried, just, just, just concreted over, cement, everything. It's gone. Who knows? There could be Tuckers running around Greenville, Fort Worth, or Dallas who know they have an Aunt Bessie or great-great-grandma Bessie or whatever and maybe never made the connection there could be more recordings of her floating around down in texas there could be more photographs of her floating around in texas if you look up bessie tucker and you look at the poster for this podcast that is the only photo of her now of that one photo there are two versions of it there's one version that I would imagine was taken from an ad from a newspaper or a magazine or a 78 jacket. Because when you look at the picture, it's all dotted and, you know, which is like old timey style of pixelation. You know, they make the picture out of tons of small dots. But I look at the picture on the cover of the documents records release. I should look at the vinyl, but looking at the picture on the cover of the CD, it looks more like an actual photograph. Um, it's really like washed out, but you do get an idea of what she looks like. Um, and if you, I say, um, way too much. I'm so embarrassed. If you look at the picture of her while you're listening to the music, um, it can get spooky. Maybe that's just me though. So yeah, that's Bessie Tucker. Um, if you guys lasted this long, thank you so much for listening.
And um, in terms of me, I've been pumping out lots of artwork. Um, you could check out my artwork on Instagram at Albert Shivers or on Facebook. Find me on Facebook. Friend me. Who cares? Let's all get together. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Albert Shivers Visual Artist, where I'm posting new things all the time. And um, hopefully I'm going to take this time of sitting around to just keep pumping out artwork, keep pumping out podcasts. Um, I haven't done collages in a long time. It's been too long. Jump back into that. Make the best of it. I'm watching movies. Um, Tonight, I'm planning on watching old 70s car movie, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, which stars Peter Fonda and Susan George. But yeah, watch movies, you know, expand, do things you maybe haven't wanted to do. I don't know. But before I completely wrap it up, I got one more shout out to do, which is you got to support a buddy of mine who will one day be on this podcast. And I am looking forward to it. But my buddy Mike is creating toys. So if you remember way back in the 70s when Dirty Mary Crazy Larry was coming out, um, there were toys called Jigglers. They were these rubber silicone toys that would normally have a string coming out the head you could hang them, and they would do what? Jiggle. These were very popular. There were tons of them back then. Um, I had a few leftover hand-me-downs when I was a little kid. But um, my buddy Mike, he's made a bunch of different toys. Um, They're all available on eBay. So if you go on eBay and just type in Jiggler Toys and... um, He's done toys of, I'm just going to rattle off some names. If you recognize these names, you can type them in too along with Jiggler Toy and you'll find them more easily. So the toys he's created are Ollie Orange and Loudmouth Lime, two 70s characters that I believe were attached to juices or some kind. He's created the creature the cucumber creature from the film it conquered the world i have one myself and um you can get this creature in red or green um bid starts at 25 dollars for those and my personal favorite of his is um he does a momo jiggler if you remember the momo from i don't know last year or something where the image of this creature was being put into kids' videos and saying some messed up crap to kids. But I just want to give you a little background on that. Being that, what else do I have to talk about? So, the Momo, right? Put in kids' videos, tell kids to cut themselves, tell kids to kill themselves, tell kids to do suicidal things. All these different things it would tell kids to do. And it would scare the kids because... When you just see the face, Google it. When you just see the face, it's a frightening, it's a frightening image. But here's a backstory. If you haven't, if you don't know it yet, is in Japan there was an artist who was a sculptor, and he did his own interpretation 
of a Japanese folkloric creature. Now, with folkloric creatures, you can go any direction you want with it. So this artist made what we now know is the Momo sculpture. Then, some hotshot kid takes a picture of it, and that photo, through a whole evolution of just stupidity, lands itself in kids' cartoons like Peppa Pig and all the other crap. So then, all of a sudden, all this backlash started going towards the artist. So the artist got so disgusted that he ended up destroying the sculpture. Okay? So one day, over some Chinese food, um, I was talking to my buddy Mike about this this whole thing with this artist who had to destroy a sculpture. And we really got into the weeds of the, the, um, the origins of this creature. And then, you know, we were conversating about how, how, how crummy it is that this artist had to destroy his sculpture. And, um, we both then did our own little, whatever you want to call it, homages to the original sculptor and the artist. I did a few pieces of artwork um, to kind of make the Momo something funny and kind of cute. And um, Mike did this sculpture of it. And then he then went on to turn the sculpture into a jiggler. So that is on eBay as well. So just to rehash... Go on eBay, type in Jiggler Toys. Now, other toys from other people are going to appear. But if you're looking to check out Mike's specific work, again, you're going to look for Ollie Orange, Loudmouth Lime, the It Conquered the World Cucumber Creature, now in green and red. And you'll see the Momo Jiggler Rubber Monster. Um, the Momo starts at 11.50. The It Conquered the World cucumber creature starts at $25, but it's very big, so it's cool. You know, for for that amount of money, it's it's worth it. And Ollie Orange and Loudmouth Lime come together, and right now they're starting at $10. So if you know if you're looking to window shop, even hop on eBay, check out his work. Maybe you'll like it. Or if you know somebody else who likes these things. Let them know. Spread it around. You know, I think um, the best we can do at this point without losing our heads is just support each other. That's all, if we can. And the other thing is, I'm not telling you to go and run around buying things. And I'm not going to tell you to come buy my art. Because at this point, people aren't getting paid. People aren't, you know, they don't, their jobs are, 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 are postponed for who knows how long. So what kind of balls would it take for me to have to say, go, go to firstdibs.com. <laughs> no, I do know I just said the website name. You know, go to the website, check out my art. No, this is all just if you want to, okay? If you want to buy a new book, go to Broad Street Books. If you're looking for some new vinyl, go check out the jukebox and, and, and their social media presences. If you're looking to window shop for some vintage style jigglers, some rubber toys, or if you don't want to buy one, I don't know. If you want to, I'm telling you they're there to check out. That's all I'm saying. Um, 
I hope that you guys enjoyed this fun yet unusual episode focusing on blues singer Bessie Tucker. Um, I'm going to let Bessie take this podcast away. Don't forget to listen next week. We're going to have Don Wilson back. We could listen to the smoothing, soothed tones of Don Wilson as he talks about his career as an art teacher and how that affected his art. And we also get into the weeds a little bit on some other fun topics about his coming up as an artist in California in the 60s. You won't want to miss the episode. It's such a fun lesson. It's such an informative lesson. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I appreciate you all so much. Do what you can. Sit home. Have fun. Talk to people on the phone. Just make the best of it. That's what we got to do. We got to make the best of it. Don't run around in fear. Don't run around worried. Because that's only going to affect your health more. And actually make you more susceptible for any sort of bug to come bite you in the ass. So with that, thank you all so much again for listening. I hope maybe you go on YouTube, go on Spotify, if she's on Spotify. Check out Bessie Tucker. You won't be disappointed by her, her lyrics, her singing. And um, I'll talk to you guys next week. Stay healthy, stay happy. And now let's give Bessie the center stage. Yeah.